letting go or releasing or whatever. It doesn't, and I don't care what you call it, but I think that practice is the number one way to heal and to move forward. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, Shelby, it wasn't like my ex that I had to forgive. I started with my, my biological father and then the sexual abuser. But lastly, and the most, the hardest person it was to forgive was myself. Are you over 40? Do you feel like you're stuck? Maybe you've always had this knowing that you're meant to do more. Well, on the other side of fear is exhilaration. Your life has purpose. You were born to make an impact. Dear Midlife is about triumphing over life's adversities together and empowering women over 40 to navigate with strength and courage all of the messiness of life. Hi, I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, full-time single mother of two teenage girls, world traveler, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of spunk, charm, and sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. We are both a work in progress, and together we are here to link arms with you as we make it our mission to be our best selves and share tips, tricks, and expert advice through no-holds-barred conversations for navigating the ups and downs that come with living life in the middle. Terry Vanover is a divorce healing strategist who went through a horrendous divorce herself and ended up homeless, broke, and broken financially, emotionally, and even physically after being hit by a van and suffering numerous injuries. Now she's living her dream life, helping others heal, and has created a relationship with her ex where they get along, hang out, and do everything they can to support each other and their beautiful children. She teaches other people now to heal and do the inner work to forge new and healthy relationships. She uses actionable exercises and strategies that can be implemented in real life to quickly increase your self-worth so you are no longer triggered, you're able to set healthy boundaries, and feel Feel at peace no matter what's going on externally. Terry is here today with us to share some of these strategies as we dive into the topic of how to heal after your divorce. If you are enjoying the Dear Midlife podcast, we ask that you take the opportunity to leave us a review and tell us what you think. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Terry Vanover. So let's just welcome our podcast guest today, Terry Vanover. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Terry. Thanks, Terry. Thanks so much, ladies, for having me. Fantastic to be here. Yes. Well, we are super excited to hear your story because you have a very remarkable story of triumph over tribulation after divorce. So I would love to just start with you sharing that story with our listeners here today. Okay, fantastic. Now, you guys haven't heard me talk much, but um, I'll give a little background about mm. about me and kind of how I started my journey. And I grew up just a poor country girl from Virginia. If you haven't heard my Southern accent out, it'll come out soon. <laughs> we love it. And uh, my mom was a single mom, very little education. She divorced, I can't, four years old. You know, so she had two little girls, you know, single mom, very little education. We grew up very, very poor. And my biological father 
looking back now, I recognize he was probably a functioning alcoholic, but I can tell you the handful of times that I had any kind of, um, you know, communication or, you know, visitations with him, they were, they were not very pleasant, not very nice, left me with a lot of scars, you know, so that abandonment, um, really left me with significant relationship issues in particular. And I was sexually abused when I was seven years old by a family member. And I believe all of that, you know, just shame and, uh, you know, negative upbringing, just, you know, with a mom that's struggling, child of divorce, poverty, sexually abused. I think it really contributed to my own relationship issues. And I think on the outside, I looked really strong. I was very driven, very ambitious, very career oriented, but inside, you know, I was a hot mess. You know, I just was very needy, was very insecure. I was very controlling in, in my marriage and mm-hmm. I had to take responsibility for, you know, the deterioration of my marriage. I actually married like a good guy, but totally sabotage that really quickly and ended up divorced like my mom um, with two very young preschool children. And because of the mistakes I made going through the divorce, I mean, I ended up, uh, I, I lost my mom during this time. I ended up homeless because of the financial, you know, mistakes I made from the divorce and um, I was hit by a car, which deteriorated my health. There was all kinds of complications from that. And it was just like one thing after the other, you know, you know, when you go through divorce, you lose family, you lose friends. And it was just the darkest time in my life. And, And I finally came through it. I will say though, that my divorce was also like that, that, you know, hitting rock bottom and realizing, oh, I've got to do something to change this because it's really about me and healing my own childhood trauma, healing my own relationship issues and coming through it and realizing that there's so there's so many things that I wish I'd known back then that would have like definitely, you know, set me on a better path going forward. But I am really lucky that I, I did put things back together. I am remarried to an amazing, sexy New York Italian. Ooh, his accent and mine, the kids have a field day. <laughs> we live in the Midwest and they don't, they're like, what is going on with our parents? And, you know, I, I now have a passion for helping other women come through this experience and come out of it better than they went into their marriage. And not only that, but I'm really proud of how I put my personal life back together in terms of even though I had a horrible divorce, I, you know, I am not Gwyneth Paltrow. I did not have one of those conscious uncoupling it was two and a half years of hell. It was, you know, you know, just a litigated, just two failed attorneys, two failed mediations, like every mistake that you can make, I made. And, you know, I think my ex-husband owns some of that as well. You know, we kind of, you get into that whole conflict thing and you don't see a way out of it. And you just, you know, attorneys just add to the conflict. So now we've been able to put all of that behind us and the four of us, you know, he's remarried, I'm remarried and we're, we're a foursome. We've even been told by other people, like, 
we don't know who's married to whom and whose kids are whose wow. biologically. You guys just are a big cohesive group. It's we a conscious really just- recoupling. That's what you have. Right. That's yes. what well, and I think that's the biggest mistake that people make when they're going through divorce. They think that divorce is going to be a solution to their problems. And you're really just exchanging one set of problems for a new set of problems. And I'm not anti-divorce, you know, I'm not, you know, because I'm just really just pro-healthy relationship. Sometimes a divorce is the key to moving forward and and finding a healthy relationship with yourself and finding a healthy relationship with someone else as well. But yeah, and and the other mistake that people make is is that the communication issues that you had in your marriage, they're going to be amplified when you get divorced. You know, because then there's really no incentive to like, you know, really work things out at all unless you really put the kids first. So I I really am really proud of how we've like, you know, moved forward, put all that behind us. And I, I do believe I think what makes me different is I believe it is more possible than many people believe. If you told me when I was in the middle of my divorce, I'd be sitting here, you know, drinking and partying with my ex-husband and we'd be sitting around and his wife is my best friend. I would have looked at you like you're crazy. You know, we hated each other just like most divorcing couples, but you can put it behind you and you can create an amazing co-parenting relationship. Even if it's just like better as far as just being respectful, you don't have to hang out like us. But you definitely can have like a semi-cohesive, respectful relationship. I believe in most circumstances. That is such a great story. I have so much to unpack there. And I think the one thing that really I want to go back to was that you had so much trauma. And I found it interesting that you acknowledged the role that you played in that divorce. And so I'm curious to know what was it that was the catalyst for your recognition that, hey, maybe this is me. And what did you do to overcome some of that childhood trauma that was so obviously um, rearing its head in your marriage? Yeah. So, you know, my my rock bottom, rock, rock bottom was sitting in, I was, you know, staying with this friend of a friend who had let me in her house at the time. And I was like crying in the basement, pretty pitiful picture, just crying in that basement, watching those sad documentaries. And I'm telling you the pull to go out and meet a new man, like right away. Like I just wanted that attention. I just craved male male attention now. Hmm. And it was like the light bulb moment of like, girl, you were lonely in the marriage and you're lonely now the key here is like stop looking for men to like give you that attention and to make you feel fulfilled or whatever it was I don't remember exactly what that thought was but I knew like you have to sit with this loneliness and and that was really the key for me was just embracing the loneliness and I call it consciously surrendering and what I intentionally consciously surrender to that loneliness what finally sitting in that basement crying my eyes out was was like the the recognition that it was really the the abandonment from my father that was driving me to seek attention from men I I really felt really deep deep in my deepest core that I was unlovable if my own father couldn't love me how how you know I must be unlovable so it was the kind of the recognition in that that like completely changed who I was. So I, you know, I did, I did not go out 
<laughs> I did not go out and meet anyone. And I just sat with it for, for many, many, many months. And then, you know, kind of after the divorce, I really like started like doing conscious trainings and teaching and, and like really learning how to help others. Well, I heal myself. And then I started healing others. And what I think makes me different than a lot of like therapy and other coaches is it's the tangible steps that I give people. And one of those is the conscious surrender to the, to the feelings, embracing those feelings and intentionally setting forth what's really going on underneath and, and, you know, pinpointing, connecting the dots between this surface negative emotion and what's really going within you. What's the internal voice within you. And then I teach my clients how to reparent themselves Mm. and give their inner child what it is that they're seeking from outside. Because the thing is you cannot solve inner problems with external solutions. And that's what most of us are doing still do. You know, we think if we look a certain way or do a certain thing, we'll get the approval, we'll get the validation. But what if we give ourselves the validation, the approval, despite whatever's going on outside of us? And do you think that that process needs to mean sitting in a basement and isolating yourself from the world or other other ways that people can go deep, heal that trauma and still stay engaged with the world or still continue to identify and and understand more about themselves and new things that they may love in this changing phase of their life. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's both of those things, right? Um, It's, it's putting into place mindfulness practices. I do think sitting still being still allowing what is with deep within us to come up is a big part of that. So that's why mindfulness is so helpful. And the awareness is really the key to the learning. And it's really the key to like us changing because you can't change what you're not even recognizing. Right. So the mindfulness is a huge part of that. Uh, Another big part of that is soothing that parasympathetic system that has gotten so out of whack from the trauma that, and I, you know, I'll just be honest, you know, I'm very transparent with my clients and in these speaking engagements, like I'm not perfect. No one's perfect, but it's great because I have the tools to apply those things when I'm triggered or when those things happen to come up for me. And because I have the awareness and I teach other people, the awareness, they see it right away and they go, Oh, that's what that is. Now here's the tool that I use to like soothe that, or here's the tool that I need to like you know, make myself feel safe and secure and things like that. So, and, and I do believe that identifying who you are and like learning who you are is a big part of that process. And part of that is going out into the world, meeting new people, experiencing new places and events and circumstances. That's, that's where the growth is too. Yeah, Absolutely. So one of the things that's sort of weighing on my mind is the notion of healing your childhood trauma. This seems to be a repetitive theme across a lot of the people that we've interviewed with. So, and you said something unique that I felt was stood out to me, which was you then reparented yourself to help you overcome what you didn't receive as a child. So help us understand what that looked like for you. 
So here, here's the thing, though. Here's where it gets a little bit um, dicey because what resolves Terry's childhood trauma is different than what's going to resolve Shelby's trauma and what's going to help Trinity feel safe and secure. It's different for every individual. It's what I do is I, I help to guide people through that process so that they can go inward and say, here is what I'm needing. Here is what my inner child is seeking. And for me, I notice like it's a recurring theme of feeling safe. So that, that was something as a child, I just didn't, didn't feel safe and feeling unlovable. Those are kind of my two, like if I had to boil them down to two things, like those when I'm triggered, I know it's kind of going to be one of those two things. So I have to, you know, so I go to those conscious tools of like, okay, you know, what am I needing? Okay, we're going to, you know, do this guided meditation, a healing inner child meditation, or I might, I have specific journaling exercises that I give to my clients, but it's different for every person. Like I've had clients who, uh, one, I would say she was, I guess, neglected. So her, her kind of recurrent theme was like the feeling of invisibility, you know, like she felt invisible. Mm -hmm. And so she needed to feel like she mattered. And this is, and she came to me and she was married, right? And she was contemplating divorce. And I like it when, when women come to me when they're married, because then we can work through a lot of these issues Uh because they're going to continue to crop up in your life. And what we, what we figured out was that it was the neglect from her childhood that was kind of filtering her own marriage. Like, you know, he, he was kind of an outgoing guy and he wanted to go meet his friends and hang out. And she needed him by her side, like constantly. So her love language, quote unquote, was spending time together. This is where I think that love language book has really gotten skewed because people use it. If you've got childhood traumas, you use it as a way like against your against your partner. And it was like, well, how much time spending with you is enough to know that you're loved? And and, And where's the balance between you know, him having what he needs and you having what you need. And you can give yourself that, that feeling of I matter. I'm enough. I I'm worthy because that it was really the, the, the unhealed feelings that she was bringing into this marriage. And another, there was another one too, another married woman that came to me and she, it her, she, you know, she it's like, well, my love language is words of affirmation. And my husband, you know, never says, you know, not enough, not enough. And I was like, well, how many times does he need to tell you you're attractive or you're beautiful or he like it would never be enough for her. And I think her and that was me, too, by the way, I'm words of affirmation and it would never be enough. It'll never be enough because it's not really something that someone else can give to you because it's really that longing underneath you that's preventing you from from having a whole, I call it an adult relationship. It's that inner child that's seeking that, that validation and love from their partner. And, you know, well, you know, lo and behold, they're both like married and happy now because the women worked on themselves and it's recognizing, you know, is this, is this a real issue or is this some childhood trauma that I need to work through and I can change and bring a whole you know, and I call it that little girl that's having the tantrum that's like needing, I need your attention. I need your love. I need that. That was me. Too. So I'm, no judgment because I've been there, done that. That's funny. It, it, and it so resonates with me because, 
you know, there was so many things that I went through as a child. Um, I never really thought about it as childhood trauma until everybody started talking about childhood trauma. I was like, Oh, I, I might have a piece or two of that myself. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see mine as childhood trauma. Right. I wouldn't have, but when you look, when you recognize like the poverty or the bullying or whatever, and how it contributes to like eroding your self-esteem, yes. that's the other, the myth of trauma. I think that's the thing too, because, you know, I do a lot of uh, trauma healing and, and, so many people come to me and they say, my parents were great parents. And then the truth is like, they just didn't get their emotional needs met. And, and the parents did the best they could. I no yeah. doubt about it, but it's, it's, what was it within you as a child that just didn't get their emotional needs met? It's so true. And, and, you know, one of the things that was a huge aha moment for me was the way that I dealt with my childhood trauma was I turned into a fixer. You got a problem. I'm going to fix your problem. My best friend has a problem. I'm going to fix it. My job has a problem. Fix the whole job. Everybody come into my circle. I will fix you. I will fix me. I will fix life. It made me highly driven, highly successful, incredibly motivated. All of my friends were like, I'm coming to you for a problem. And I fixed everything. And really, as I look back on my life, that started when I was very, very young, because that was how I felt safe. I could create an environment of safety in my household by fixing everything for my mom, making sure we had the things that we needed. And it carried over into adulthood. And and it was a huge aha moment for me because, you know, you wouldn't think that the way that you survived your trauma, the things you put in place to survive, survive your trauma would also be the things that would make you highly successful in life. And that was the case for me. And so I spent years figuring out how to rewire that, that I don't have to own everybody's traumas and problems and, and be their fixer anymore. And it's, it's been interesting kind of watching this evolution. And sometimes I do feel like I'm watching it from the outside, Um, but watching this evolution, because evidently there was a very strong need that I was also getting met by fixing all of the things for all of the people. And there are times that I feel less safe because I'm not fixing all of the things for all of the people right now. And so I feel like well, is my job on the line? Are my friendships on the line? Is my parenting on the line? Because I'm not fixing everything. So it's it's just been an interesting journey. And I know a lot of the, the women that listen to our podcast are successful women. And you yes. may just stop and pinpoint, you know, are there some things that you do on the daily that really don't come from a healthy place? And how can you begin to shift that? Amen, sister. You know, and you hit it right on the head. Like everything you said was brilliant and great. And it's just becoming aware. It's like, is this coming from a healthy place or is this coming from that need to be, you know, accepted or validated or, you know, like you said, so that's brilliant. But I, but you also alluded to the fact that like, I, I agree with you for many people, red flags feel like home. So yes. like when they're out in the dating world, those red flags, like for me, this is me thing. Again, <laughs> I'll just bring it back to me as an example. But um, like chaos, like 
if I, you know, if I'm in a stable relationship, like what the hell is that? Like, I, where, where's the drama? Where's the, mm-hmm. I don't know how to deal with it. Like, you know, so it took me years to like rewire just feeling safe and secure in safety and security. It's, yeah. It sounds bananas, but when you, when you become aware of like your patterns and you recognize, oh, okay, I can fix this. You know, I had another client too. And because of his, his trauma, the, the, he had a childhood of like, um, it was like attention avoidance. He had a mom who was attentive, avoidant, attentive, avoidant because of like an alcoholic father or something like that long story, but it was the same thing. So when you, you know, of course, when his marriage was exactly like that, it was comfortable. So for him to leave that was, was, was very difficult. And he needed support from me to help him get through that, to understand this is why you're struggling to leave that toxic relationship, you know? And so let's fix it. I love it. So that's interesting because I would be curious to know what then are the signs? How do you start to come to this realization that, ah, I might be doing this for an unmet childhood need. Like where does that enter in and how can you figure that out and connect the dots? And two, then what are some practical steps that you're taking our clients through that help them get beyond that trauma and to heal that trauma? I think it's the the recognition of when, when you see patterns in your life where you're being taken advantage of by people I think that's a big, I think that's a big red flag. If you find that you're in relationships that don't feel reciprocal and don't feel rewarding, or you feel like you're taken advantage of or manipulated, whether it's family members or friends or, you know, relationships, all those, that, that is a big sign that you have some unhealed trauma and, you know, it's time to step out of that. So some Practical steps is meditation. And I I know it sounds so woo-woo, but I'm telling you, meditation has been so life-changing for me. It's made me a better wife. It's made me a better mom. And because it's allowed me to get in touch with some of those deeper emotions and allow those emotions up. And what is great about meditation is that you can see the feeling or you can see the thought and it, the practice allows you to then choose. Do I want to follow this thought or do I want to follow this feeling or do I want to let this go? It kind of teaches you in a way to be more conscious in following those emotions and following those thoughts and then giving yourself what you need. So, and again, the practical, practical things. I mean, it doesn't have to be this big woo-woo thing. I, you know, I'm a mom, stepmom of five, so my time is limited. I'm not sitting in a room with candles and, you know, but I do take time every single morning to do it because it, it just helps me as a mother, as a wife. And so, you know, using apps, I love Calm. I love Headspace is another one. Very practical things that you can implement into your life. And then you'll start to notice when you do this consistently, oh, I'm starting to respond versus react. And that's why I think it's really important for people who are going through divorce or been through divorce, like to understand that and put in some mindfulness practice, meditative practices, self-care. I'm trying to get away from saying self-care, but self-parenting practices to, to deal with like high conflict situations, to figure out like, 
am I reacting to this or am I responding to this? <laughs> like you, you want to respond versus react. So I, I just think it's so beneficial in so many ways. And I think it also, uh, when you have that spaciousness within you, you can then see other people from a different perspective. You see the pain in other people. You see their, their, their hurt when you're not hurt or anger or whatever. And you can, you have that spaciousness. You can see from a distance, oh, that person's really struggling or that person's really challenged and that person's really in pain and it's coming at me, but I, but I have that spaciousness about it. So, and then a lot of journaling exercise, I give my prescriptions. I prescribe, like, just depends on whatever the issue is. If it's letting go or getting closure, there is like some formal like journaling exercises that help to take my clients to that next level. Because here's the thing, I think like Western medicine is finally catching up with some of our ancient wisdom and Eastern philosophies and things like, cause it sounds like woo woo and stuff, but here's the thing, science is starting to, you know, and research is backing up some of these things. The reason why rituals are so effective is because it helps to hijack that intellectual part of your brain and give you the closure that you need and give you that and it accesses that creative part of you that will allow you to forgive or allow you to let go or to cut that, you know, energetic cord with your mother or whatever it is. It's ritual, but it allows you to get what you need in a way that you can't really physically do. I mean, but that's what you're already doing is ritual, right? But it's just an unhealthy ritual. I'm fixing everybody's bullshit. That's my fucking Mm. ritual, right? So instead I have to shift that and bring in a new ritual because we all know that nature abhors a vacuum. And if I don't fill it with a new ritual, I'm going to start drinking. I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink all the drinks every day. That'll be my ritual. And we're all going to be jacked up. So find you a good ritual, right? Yes. Yes, A healthy, a healthy ritual. And it's hard. It's not easy. You know, and I I have to say, Trinity, I'm glad you brought that up. That was probably the only one of the only health. Well, maybe I did a couple healthy things because I survived divorce. (laughs) But um, like that was one thing I was like super consciously aware of because my biological father, you know, the alcoholism runs in my family. And I was like, you know, this would be a really slippery slope for me to start drinking wine every night. So that was one thing I think consciously I made that decision not to, to do that. And I'm looking back at that. I realized, oh, that was a really good choice. Yeah. I did do a lot of running and racing and did a triathlon during my doors. Like I like had goals. And I, like y'all were talking about earlier, like, you know, you know, starting to do new experiences is a part of learning who you are. And that was one of the things was setting some goals, doing some adventure runs and a triathlon and, kind of challenging myself in some, some healthy ways. Yeah. And joining a running group. Remember back when we can meet groups of people. Right. <laughs> face to face. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You, you've got to fill that void with some healthy stuff for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I am. I fell in love with a book called the miracle morning and that started my ritual. It says that there are six things you need to do each morning and meditation is among them. Journaling is among them. So it's very clear that these are healthy practices that help you put your head in the right space and move forward and heal yourself. I'm also curious to know what it was that you did to heal from the hurt of your divorce. You had a very traumatic divorce. It sounds like 
that it was a lot of discourse between you and your ex. It sounded like it was pretty tumultuous through the divorce process. And so how did you get beyond that to actually evolve into such close friends in today's current state? I think I'm going to say the F word and the F word is forgiveness. Oh, man, you got me all hyped up and excited. I was like, let's do it, do it. Damn it. No, but, but for many people, that's like the, the F-bomb. I just dropped the F-bomb. So forgiveness, I want to talk about what forgiveness is because there's a lot of myths around forgiveness. Firstly, forgiveness is for yourself. It's not for the other person. And it is also not absolution. People think that, oh, if, if I forgive this person, I have to let them back in my life or I have to put my healthy boundaries down. And that's not what it's about. Forgiveness is about releasing the toxic emotions that someone else gave to you. It's, it's a, and so I have like a specific like forgiveness letter and a forgiveness ritual that I kind of walk my clients through. And so I, I think that is key to letting go. And actually, you know, I'll just be honest. I think forgiveness is key to having a healthy marriage. I do the forgiveness letter like all the time, more so now (laughs) than I'm here, only because I never, I know that resentment is the number one relationship killer. And when I find myself like resenting my husband or holding on to something, I will consciously do that letter just to let that go and release that so that I can just let it go. Is the letter just for you or do you share it with him? Oh no, Mm -mm. you don't share it. (laughs) <laughs> no, because it's, it's it's for you. You know, he does not know I'm doing all this stuff <laughs> or he'll know like I'm journaling. <laughs> you better you better burn those letters, honey. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's just for letting go of those toxic emotions that you're carrying around. They're not for anyone else. And it's it, and it doesn't mean that you're also saying that what that person did to you was OK. You're not saying that it's you know, you're giving permission that what happened to you was okay. It's just that you're choosing to release the negative emotions associated with the event or the, the person. And, you know, I've even had clients say, you know, the forgiveness word is so loaded and I get it because it has like a lot of religious connotations and it has a lot of, so, you know, if you want to call it letting go or releasing or whatever, it doesn't, and I don't care what you call it, but I think that practice is the number one way to heal and to move forward um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, Shelby, it wasn't like my ex that I had to forgive. I started with my, my biological father and then the sexual abuser. But lastly, and the most, the hardest person it was to forgive was myself. And I see that with a lot of my divorce clients that really struggle with forgiving themselves. Like, why didn't I see the red flags or why did I get into a marriage like this? And why did, you know, they really struggle with like forgiving themselves, but it just frees you up and gives you peace of mind. So that that's a big part of it. And it's also, it's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice and you choose it over and over and over. People also think it's a feeling like, Oh, I all of a sudden love you. And it's like, no, 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 it's not a feeling. It's a conscious choice that you make over and over and over. I choose to let this go. I choose to let this thing go. I choose to let this, whatever, whatever the emotion is, you know, for my own sake and for my own peace, because, you know, that other person isn't hurting. You are, you know, based off of what they did. So I think that's really key. What are some other things? I do a lot of guided meditations and inner child healings. There's something called, it's called the fear exercise, but it's really about putting yourself. What I do is show my 
clients exactly where that like moment of abandonment started. Like we try to go back as early as we can and figure out what is that like five-year-old needing at that time. And then doing your best to give that if you can. And I'll give an example of this. I had a client who, again, this is one of those things where she had great parents. She loves her parents. She's very close to her parents. But she unfortunately had had a brother who had severe, severe disabilities. And it took a lot of attention, the parents' attention. So there was a lot of time in her own childhood where she was left alone and she was an independent, happy child. But deep down, she just really didn't feel like she got the recognition and, and what she needed. Again, it's not conscious. She doesn't blame our parents. It's not about blaming our parents. It's just about figuring out what is it that's in me that's driving me to do some things in an unhealthy way. So what we, so we, we figured out when I took her through that guided meditation was like, she, she just needed to celebrate herself. She just needed some recognition and to celebrate herself. And so I think one of what she decided to do was buy herself a cake and go play on a swing or something like that. And it's like, it's not these big magical things. It's just giving yourself what you need. And it's different for everybody and just going within and figuring out like, what, what am I needing? What, what is it that I'm seeking? So we've talked about a lot of, you know, kind of the current buzzwords, right? We've got, we've got our, our healing, our childhood trauma. We talked about self-care. We've talked about some of the others. A, a buzzword that we are hearing over and over and over, and I, I don't want to reduce it to a buzzword because I know that it's a lot, a reality for a lot of people out there. I'm curious about your take on the word narcissist. What is your take I, on the word narcissist? I think there are a lot of people jumping on that bandwagon and um, I am not. Um, I Do I believe that there's high conflict people? Absolutely. Do I have clients who have high conflict exes? Absolutely. But I think that word is thrown around a lot and it's misused and um, overused. And I think when we jump to labels, a couple of things happen. I actually had written this down earlier, but like number one, it keeps us as a victim, right? If we label ourselves and label other people, it keeps us in this state of disempowerment and, and it keeps us as a victim. And so we want, we want to take back control. We want to feel empowered. We want to move forward. So I'm all about empowering yourself and taking accountability for where you can change and where you can show up differently. Secondly, I believe that the labels also, you know, keep you from seeing opportunities where you do have agreements and you can move forward and you can, uh, and you do have, have opportunities for growth because, you know, it's the RAS, it's the reticular activation system whatever you're, whatever you believe or whatever you're focused on, you're going to get more of that. And you're going to, you are going to respond in kind. So every time your ex makes a mistake and you jump on it and you respond or you react to it, you're going to get more of that. So whatever you focus on, you're going to get more of. But if you focus on, you know, we, we really communicated really well here. What was the pattern there? What was, what was the communication? What went so well there? And so I don't use labels. So I just say, oh, they're, you know, high conflict, difficult to get along with. So, you know, we look for patterns 
within like what their triggers are and like how we can avoid them or what, what works best with that. And then what are your triggers? What sets you off that's going to force you to react and, and like go off the rails. And so I believe when we label people, it, it really limits us and not just the word narcissism, but lots of labels tends to limit us. It limits our view. It limits our ability to grow. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I also am shocked at how many people in the divorce world are really jumping on that because we should be in a space of healing and also cohesiveness for our children. It's about create, we have to create when you get a divorce, you know, if you've got children, you're, you're not really leaving that you're, you're actually just recreating a new dynamic and recreating a new family dynamic. And so you just have to navigate that and you have to work together. And I think, you know, there is a a part of my, you know, divorce colleagues that are really just doing a disservice by reinforcing that. Do I think it's a reality for some people? Of course I do. But I think most people can have a relationship like I have. I do think it's possible if you're willing to do the inner work on yourself and show up differently. Do do my ex and I agree on everything? Absolutely not. Do I jump on every mistake he does? Absolutely not. Does he jump on my mistakes? No. But if he did, I probably would let it go anyway. And mm-hmm. I think on Mother's Day, when we were hanging out, you know, we were hanging out together. On, I know y'all are like Mother's Day. Yes, <laughs> this is what we do. We're like, we're having dinner. The, the men cook eggs or something. I don't remember. And, you know, and, I, and then a couple of days later, Dee had said something to me. That's my kid's stepmom. Because I'm so sorry I jumped on you when we were doing the Mother's Day and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, didn't even, it didn't even, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because my first assumption is always going to be that that person is doing the best that they can. That's another thing. I think a mindset shift, assume the best of the other person, always assume the, the best until you know, otherwise, because I think oftentimes we, we jump to like the worst conclusion or the worst thing. And, you know, I just maybe, but she probably said something and maybe it was in a tone or something. I don't even remember. I probably in my own head assumed like the best, whatever the best thing is like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that, that is, that's just basically how I am. I'm always assuming the best of everyone all the time because we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. And it makes it easier for you as well. You're able yeah, to maintain and, a and positive it, and outlook. And it's, you know, I know that like, you know, my, my ex-husband parents differently and his style is different. And like, I also feel like, okay, that's okay. There's a different perspective. There's a different style and that's okay. My kids get a different perspective and a different style from me. And that's okay too. So I also don't control what he does on his time or think that my way is the best way. Now I would have been, if I hadn't done my inner work, I probably would have been very controlling and wanted things done a certain way at a certain time, but yeah, I let all that go. And you know what? I tell you, my kids have the best, like they, they can be who they want to be with all their parents and not. And they also don't, don't feel guilty or feel like restricted. You know, they're very close to D and I didn't realize like how, like, 
unicorn that is like in the world that I was like oh like people are like why would you be like why would I be jealous of her like I love her and I'm so happy that my kids have someone that loves them and takes care of them and it's just wonderful so it's it's all about your perspective but again you've got to heal all those insecurities within you yeah and I think that's that's still all the work that we have to do right is to dig really deep because I was just sitting here thinking about, you know, how hard that is. And it sounds like you have a great situation with your ex and with his new spouse and your spouse. But I don't know that that's always the case. It's not. It's not. My ex-husband's ex-wife, it's very different. There's lots of boundaries. There's no communication. And that's okay too. But it's about like, I will tell you, like if she walked up to us tomorrow and then suddenly you know, it was different. I would, I would be okay with that too. I mean, I know it's not possible, but the key is like not to let it affect you or not to dwell on it and not to like, okay, she has a different perspective. She has a different, you know, it's just different. And also having those healthy boundaries. I I am for healthy boundaries. I think, you know, just because I have a great relationship with my ex, I, I do believe that boundaries are important. And many times people are, divorce for a reason (laughs) like it was an unhealthy relationship and being around that person is unhealthy and there's nothing wrong with that either but you still have to get to a place where you're you're aligned and you're 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 it doesn't bother you and you're not triggered by them and you you've done the inner work and you you can move on and move forward in your life I think for many people even with a high conflict ex, it, it prevents them from moving forward and, and they want to be a victim to that divorce or they want to be a victim to that ex. But you, you have to let that go. You have to learn to let that go. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that if you start with yourself, the reality is that you are only in control of yourself. You can't control that other person. So the more that you try to control the other person, the more you just feel angry inside. And so if you can just focus on what you can control, I think the message is that then you can find that inner peace and find that space where you can forgive and find the space where you can move forward. Um, and that's, you know, it's a lot of work and it's it's a lot of inner reflection and it's a lot of self-care and meditation and finding the triggers and trying to resolve those Um, But once you can, then you have, you know, so much peace and so much love in life. Yeah. Shelby, you're you're so right. I I think that's one of the things it's, it's our firstly too, like what you're saying is like, when we try to control someone else's behavior, one thing is they become defensive. You know, it makes it even worse because no one likes to to feel controlled. They're going to resist that. So the more we let go, and um, also understand that our resistance, our resistance is what's causing us the suffering. But if we just understand, <clears throat> for me, with my, my husband's ex-wife, it, I had to, I was resisting that she was the way she was, <laughs> you know, because especially when I had this other relationship with the stepmom where we're like buddy buddies, you know, and I was like, I had to accept the fact this is this is not this is not how this is going to be. We're not going to come to the same perspective. And that's OK. It was my resistance to what is that was causing me to suffer. Once I accepted things as they are, you know, I feel at peace. That was lovely. Yeah. 
And so then I know that you offer these kinds of coaching, share these tools with your own clients, you know, that forgiveness letter you have, you've mentioned so many wonderful tools, the meditation practice that you use. Tell us, you know, how we can find you. And if someone wants to engage with you, what can they do to really connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love for anyone listening to go to choosingtorise.com. You won't forget that because it's got the Southern twang in it. <laughs> so choosingtorise.com. <laughs> Southern twang. Yeah. You know? And uh, you'll get your free, you know, seven tips for thriving after divorce. You get a free book there. And then, you know, I also on Facebook have a, a, a group for women, women thriving after divorce. And it's all about getting the healing strategies to being your best after divorce. I love that. And what a great service you are offering to so many women and men in midlife who go through this and the right path is healing. Choosing to rise is healing. And thank you for bringing us along the way on your journey. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Discussions are amazing. And I'm, I'm great, grateful to be a part of this forum, to be honest with you. Wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. Thank you. Thank you so much to our guest today, Terry Vanover, a divorce healing strategist. Again, Terry went through a horrendous divorce herself and has collected some healing strategies along the way that she shared with you today. Number one, healing includes consciously surrendering to your feelings. You have to be able to feel your feelings in order to move through them. Two, you cannot solve internal problems with external solutions. You have to employ skills like mindfulness practice and reparenting yourself to heal past traumas. Three, for many, red flags feel like home and become comfortable so it's easier for us to stay there than to move beyond them. Four, meditation can help you achieve a state of mind in which you can respond, not react. Five, Adopting new and healthy rituals are important because they will help you to rewire your brain in a healthy and functional way. Six, use forgiveness to release toxic emotions. Use a forgiveness letter. It's something you just write for yourself, but will help you to release those negative thoughts. It's a great place to start. You can find Terry on her website, choosingtorise.com, on Facebook at Terry Vanover, or Instagram at Vanover Terry.